Hey everybody, C-Note here, and welcome to Dopamine, the show that is like going clothes shopping. Everything fits if you try hard enough. Today on the show, I have Karina Pardis on the show with me, who is the who is a composer at Koi Compositions. She does a lot of music with uh, for podcasts and video and things like that. But we talk mostly on this episode about her postpartum depression and a lot of the tips that she's used during that time to what she's used during that time to both communicate with her husband about what's going on with her, but also to find and share ways to continue to live her life now using those same steps. That includes, you know, finding ways to give yourself a little bit more wiggle room when you're trying to set up do the dishes or do things at home and you're not quite feeling it because of brain chemistry reasons or really any reason and giving yourself a little bit of room to breathe. So without further ado, this is a really, really great conversation. Uh, and this is the first time I'm doing a video interview. So I hope you enjoy that. And without further ado, please welcome Karina Pardis to the show. Drums, Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Inspired by the life of the savvy and ambitious Colombian businesswoman Griselda Blanco comes a new Netflix original limited series. Griselda tells the story of a devoted mother who, with her lethal blend of charm and relentless savagery, creates one of the most powerful cartels in history. Witness Sofia Vergara's captivating transformation into the godmother of the underworld. Griselda, now streaming only on Netflix. I'm Mo Rocca, and I'm excited to announce season four of my podcast, Mobituaries. I've got a whole new bunch of stories to share with you about the most fascinating people and things who are no longer with us. From famous figures who died on the very same day to the things I wish would die, like buffets, all that and much more. Listen to Mobituaries with Mo Rocca wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Welcome to the show, Karina Pardus. 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 <laughs> Pardus. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, good to have you here. Um, so tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and um, if you've had experience with any kind of mental health issues in your past. Awesome. Uh, so I am a composer. I write music for podcasts, brand audio, and video games. Um, and I've been a musician my entire life. And it's awesome. I love music. It's great. Um, and then I am a wife and a mom of three kids. Um, my oldest is five. And then I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And um, I experienced postpartum depression with my first baby. Uh, but not until 
after I weaned her at uh, about 14 months, so it was over a year after she was born, and I thought that postpartum depression happened um, sometime within the few months right after you gave birth, and so I didn't even know it was postpartum depression until it had been going on for quite a while, and it was really right. an experience. And then I also have a sister who um, suffers from depression and anxiety, um, and lots of friends that have um, mental health issues. So it's it's been a part of my life for a while, but only five years ago did I, well, I guess four four years ago, a year, a year after my daughter was born, did I experience it myself. Right. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because uh, I thought the same. I thought it was something that would happen basically immediately. Baby comes out and you're like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm depressed. Oh, that's not it at all. It can actually, um, postpartum de- depression can be diagnosed anywhere after two years, up to two years after you have a baby. Wow. And, and I didn't know that. I knew that postpartum depression was a thing and I knew mm. it was real and I knew to look out for it. But after my baby was three months old, I stopped thinking about it. Just, oh, I didn't have it. That's great. You know, I'm lucky. Lucky me. Right. And that wasn't the case at all. And it was really, really interesting experience. Yeah, it just kind of crept up on you, I'm sure. Yeah. I I just all of a sudden I didn't want to do anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I would wake up and I would put a robe on and I would sit and I would watch TV all day and I would get upset when my daughter needed me. I mean, she's a one year old, right? She's going to need me. But I started just, you know, never neglecting her but just again okay I guess I guess I'll feed her I guess I'll change her you know the things that she needs her basic needs um and I just thought I was being lazy so I hated myself so there was a lot of negative self-talk a part of that too like why Mm -hmm. am I such a lazy bum like I'm a bad mom all of these things until probably um five months into it my husband was like, okay, this is like a consistent thing now. It's not just you being lazy. There's something more happening. Right. And when I realized that it was postpartum depression, I had a label for it. And so I could actually work on fixing it. Right. Yeah. So um, how, I mean, obviously it's something that you don't really catch the first second it happens. You know, you're kind of in, in it for a little while and you're like, oh, this is this. Um were you able to kind of trace back a little bit to see like exactly when this started and how it started to slowly manifest in your life? Yeah. Um, so when you are breastfeeding, it releases serotonin and all those happy hormones. Right. Um, and so I weaned her pretty fast at 14 months. Um, I didn't really ease into it. it wasn't completely cold turkey like I would feed her first thing in the morning and then right before bed at night and that was it mm-hmm. but even that only happened for two weeks before I was done breastfeeding right. um and so my body just had an imbalance of serotonin to no serotonin and then it just went into a lack of that and so it pushed me into postpartum depression from that mm-hmm. um so for me it was um breastfeeding related, I guess. Right. So what was the, um, what was like the first course of action you took once you started to kind of realize that this was a thing? Did you start to do your own research? Did you go to a doctor? How did that, how did you approach it? So I actually did not go to a doctor, probably Mm could have, should have, but (laughs) 
Yeah, happens. Um, I'm a very self-reliant person, and so I was like, no, I don't need a doctor to help me with this. Right. Um, although I would not recommend that for other people. It probably would have been right. easier to figure it out with the doctor. Uh -huh. uh, but the first thing I started doing is I just started setting a schedule for myself. Mm -hmm. um, I found that if I had something to act on, it was easier to get up and do something because my depression was manifesting in not having a desire or motivation to do anything. Right. Um, I just sit and watch TV. Not even good TV. It was bad TV. Right? <laughs> I mean, it wasn't even enjoyable uh -huh. to watch. I haven't watched it since then because it was just not good TV. Right. So, <laughs> um, I, you know, just small tasks because um, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to change it overnight. I knew mm -hmm. it was foolish to expect to... Um, to imagine myself all of a sudden being as productive as I wanted to be right away. That right. was just going to make me feel worse about myself because I knew I wouldn't be able to live up to that. Right. So I started writing down, I wrote down five, I made a list of five minute tasks, 10 minute tasks and 20 minute tasks. Mm -hmm. And then uh, whenever, and then I set a, a time for when I would do one of those tasks a day. So maybe one day I was going to, you know, just pick up the toys. Right. Um, a five minute task I wrote down was get dressed because I probably hadn't gotten dressed unless I had to leave my house. I wasn't getting dressed for probably three months. Like right. it was awful. So, um, and every time I would do a task, I found a way to celebrate because, you know, do a little hooray, I'm dressed. Like right. I'm at work. <laughs> Guess what? I don't dress today. Right. You know, and then Celebrate the little victories. Up, right. Yeah. And then slowly you work up to getting dressed at 10 o'clock in the morning. And then eventually mm -hmm. right when you wake up at seven in the morning or whenever it was. Right. And so um, doing the dishes. I mean, I knew that I wasn't going to do the dishes every day and I might not finish the dishes, but I would set a timer. This is my 10 minute task and I'm going to do dishes for 10 minutes. Right. And then when the timer goes off, I can stop. Mm -hmm. I accomplished it. Check it right. off. I'm mm -hmm. awesome because I did some dishes when I probably right. did some dishes for two months. <laughs> My husband was really frustrated because he likes having a clean house when he comes home. But right. he was, you know, helpful and he would do dishes and he would just be like, I don't understand why you can't do dishes. But then when right. we figured out what was going on, mm -hmm. oh, we understand. Now let's work on helping each other do this. Um, so setting those tasks and knowing how long it would take and what was expected of me was really helpful because then I, if I was setting realistic expectations and um, um, in between the tasks, I would still go and watch the awful TV because that had become a habit. It was habitual and I had to work on breaking that habit. Sometimes I would set a timer to turn the TV off when the timer went off. I wasn't mm -hmm. always great at that. Right. Uh, then... My husband sat down with me and he wrote out a list of shows that I was allowed to watch during uh, my TV time because some of the shows that I was watching were, were not good for my mental health. Can you, can you give some examples of like the before and after? Which shows were you not watching <laughs> and which could you after? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a little embarrassing, right? But um, <laughs> one of the shows that I was just constantly binge watching was America's Next Top Model. Okay. It's in the ballpark of what I was expecting. Um, right? I mean, like, it's a love-hate show for me. It's a great show. But at the time, it was just really, really bad for me because I 
was still in postpartum body mode. I was not my best. And I thought, I kept telling him, like, no, it's fine. I love watching the art of the photography because I really mm -hmm. do love that. Right. Um, you know, it's not about anything else. But then he started pointing out to me things that he noticed about how I was comparing my body, like I was body shaming myself based on this model show, right? Mm -hmm. Which is not healthy for right. any state of your life. Even now that I don't have postpartum depression, it's still not healthy thing. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so things like that. Um, and so he was like, okay, if you want to watch America's Next Top Model, fine, but only watch one episode a day. You cannot watch Right. Seven episodes of America's Next Top Model every <laughs> single day, Karina. This is not good for you. Yeah. Um, and eventually I stopped watching that. I was also like watching the news constantly, um, which a little news here and there is fine. But mm -hmm. when you're watching five hours of news straight, like it gets really depressing. Yeah. Newscasters don't make money by saying good things that are happening, right? I mean, it's not mm -hmm. the good news show. Yeah. Um, so I was inundated with all the terrible things that were happening in the world and um, knowing about that isn't bad, but I was surrounding myself with it and I was immersing myself in that. And so mm -hmm. it was not helping my mental state at the time. Right. So things like that, he would, you know, he was like, okay, how about you turn on a show of Mickey Mouse, like an hour of Mickey Mouse Clubhouse so that our daughter can watch it with you, right? right. Don't watch it for you, watch mm -hmm. it for her, you know, right. and then you have this hour of like charmed or whatever ridiculous show I was watching. <laughs> like I watched a lot of Boy Meets World because it was very nostalgic for me. Uh -huh. <laughs> My growing up years, you know, things like that. <laughs> uh, and then eventually he graduated to. He's like, okay, how about you start watching one movie? Like right. instead of being on a TV show where there it's never ending, mm. turn on a movie and after the two hours you turn the TV off and you're done with the TV for the day. Right. right? So we just set little goals like that, and that mm. was really helpful me to be able to um be more aware of how my environment was affecting me and how I was reacting to the environment that I created I was in charge of that environment because it's my house right I was mostly home all the time right um and you know there were uh, one of the 20 minute activities was go outside for 20 minutes Mm -hmm. And I was actually set a timer for 20 minutes. And I'd be like, peace, I'm leaving. Like, whoever's outside in our little court area in our apartment complex is like, oh, sorry, I have to go outside now because it's overwhelming to me to be with you guys for so long without an excuse to get out. No, peace Which out, is, sunshine, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I gotta go inside. And one of my friends was like, why do you set a timer to go back inside? And I was like, mm. <laughs> I don't like want to be trapped out here with people right now, which is weird for mm -hmm. me. I'm very much a people person. I'm very mm -hmm. extroverted. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was nice having that. I mean, eventually I didn't need that excuse. And once I went outside, I stayed out until it was lunchtime or until my daughter needed to go inside for whatever reason. Right. But it's just those little steps to take to get to that point. Right. So uh, that's, that's a really, really strong breakdown of, you know, a lot of tactics that I've used personally as well, you know, in terms of giving yourself kind of baby steps to go try little things and, and kind of realize that what you're experiencing is different from the norm, quote unquote, normal stuff. You know, it, it's so it involves a different kind of treatment, you know, to look at yourself in a different way to allow yourself to uh, um, the, the doing the dishes was a really good example, because I've had plenty of days like that even now. But 
I'm, I'm dealing with cyclical depression. So I go through mania to cyclothymia, which is mania to depression. Um, and I'm recently, you know, yesterday was horrible and today I feel great. So it's kind of weird. That's exactly how it is. It's like one day, like I go to bed with anxiety because I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to feel tomorrow. Um, But, you know, a good example of it is the dishes thing because I wake up, you know, I do dishes for like, not necessarily an exact timer, but I kind of feel it out and I'm like, okay, when this doesn't feel like it's something that I'm, that, that is like, when it feels more of a responsibility and starts to feel like a burden, you know, that's our, like, you got to allow myself to be like, okay, I'll deal with this later or set a priority for which dishes need to be done. You know, some right. plates, some, you know, the skillet or something needs to be cleaned so we can make food later or something. Yeah. Give, giving a priority to, uh, um, to make sure at least that's done and then, you know, mark it off. You know, it doesn't have to be perfection, a hundred percent, you know, that sort of thing. And, um, that's uh, all of that is, is really, really great. Making lists and giving yourself timers, all of that. I can relate to the, even the going outside stuff because that's, you know, I'm, I'm more of a natural introvert. So I go yeah. outside and, you know, Molly, my girlfriend, we go out to, to, to the pier or something. And I feel like the second we go outside, like there's a clock ticking internally and I'm like, okay, I'm not enjoying this anymore. And she's like, yeah. it's great and sunshine and people. And I'm like, <laughs> I just want to go play video games or something. I just need yeah. to be my brain. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And I actually still use a lot of those tactics um, uh-huh. that I developed when I was trying to overcome my depression. I still use them, even though mm-hmm. um, I might not be in that same place anymore. Like, right. I still set a timer when I don't want to do something. Right. It's like, oh, I know how to deal with this. I set a right. timer. Woohoo! <laughs> done is better than perfect and I use that in my art a lot when I'm writing done is better than perfect because if you wait for it to be perfect uh you're never going to learn and you're never going to progress and you're never Mm going to be able to move on and moving on is critical in art with mental states with relationships Mm -hmm. right uh, both both relationships that you want to improve and that you love being in and relationships that you need to let go of moving on is part of that progression right Um, and with um with going to sleep at night i like because i actually had a really hard time sleeping when i was in postpartum depression i mean Uh i had a baby which didn't help but even when she was sleeping great i wasn't sleeping great and so i started doing some research about sleeping and um you know, there, there's all the scientific stuff about uh, no screen time before bed and things mm-hmm. like that, but right. I didn't like that one very much. And <laughs> I didn't want to listen to that, so I needed uh-huh. something else. But right. things that I found that actually worked um, were gratitude practices mm-hmm. and um, mindful breathing. So mm-hmm. there's actually... Um, a psychologist that I was reading her book called The Strength Switch. Okay. Um, It's a great book. It's geared specifically towards parenting, but you can definitely apply it to your own self if you don't have kids. Um, But it's really great because it talks about when we focus on our weaknesses, we don't Mm -hmm. fix those weaknesses. We just 
um, enlarge them in our minds. Right. And so if you have things that you want to improve on, notice your strengths and improve on your strengths. And you will find that your weaknesses kind of improve along with it. Right. And it's a great mindset to have, like, instead of, oh, I'm terrible at this. It's like, how can I use my strengths that I know I have mm -hmm. and I have labeled them thus? Right. How do I use these specific strengths to help me in this situation that I'm not feeling great in right now? Right. But this this person, she was saying that most of the time when you can't sleep, it's because your brain is so focused on all of the worries that you have. Right. Like you said, it's anxiety, right? It's, oh mm -hmm. my goodness, what is going to be happening tomorrow? Or uh -huh. oh, I've got so much stuff to do. You know, I've right. tried writing down a list of everything that I think I need to get done the next day to clear it out. And that kind of works, but only to a point because you're still worried about whatever's going to be happening. Um, and the best way to replace worry is with gratitude. Because mm -hmm. you Absolutely. take something that you're worried about, and it's just like with fear. You can't be afraid and hopeful or faithful that about tomorrow at the same time. Fear right. and faith cannot coexist. So if you are afraid of something, you need to find a way to replace it with faith, right. whether in a deity or yourself or your family or whatever you want to place that faith in. Right. Um, and so same thing with worry. If you have worry, you can replace it with gratitude. And so she uh, does something with her kids that I've started doing with my kids and that I've started doing with myself, which is fantastic. And she calls it what went well. Uh -huh. So you name three things before bed that went well that day or a way that you use your strengths. Right. Um, and you can do more than three things. I do three things with my kids. And then when I get in my bed, I just go until I fall asleep. Right. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, what were ways that I use my strengths today? What are things that I am grateful for today? And you go to sleep happier. You wake up happier. Mm -hmm. You sleep easier through the night. It's kind of amazing how it works. I mean, it takes practice at the beginning, right. just like anything. But it becomes easier and easier the more you practice it. Um, yeah. Especially when you have a bad day, it's hard to find something that you're grateful for. Mm -hmm. But there's, you can always find at, you can always find at least three things. Like I promise, even if. It's oh, I think I lost you for a second. Hopefully, you'll be back. She did say that she was having some internet issues, so, or it could be mine. My connection is unstable. I don't know why that is. Um, but it's uh, to kind of supplement what she's saying. Hopefully, she'll come back and just it just pop right back in. Um, is that essentially, you know, there are sometimes we come across these things when we're dealing with extremes. Uh, and, you know, these are things that everybody can use in everyday life to practice a better sense of gratitude and reconnect. Hi. Hi, there we go. Sorry. That's all right. I was just filling in the gap while you came back. So, Perfect. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, even on a bad day, I promise you can find at least three things that you're grateful for. There are so many days that I was like, I only cried for two hours instead of five, or you know, whatever it was. Right. You know, I got dressed today. I had inner strength and discipline, and I got dressed, and that can be something that you're grateful for. Right. Oh, every little thing. Every little yeah. thing. It does not matter how big it needs. It doesn't need to be big at mm -hmm. all. It can be the smallest thing. Um, but as long as it is meaningful to you, right. that is a great way to help um, calm your body down. And it actually sends signals to your brain. Right. So just like anything in your brain, the more you do it, the deeper those neural pathways become. Right. And so the easier it gets to see gratitude. So even in the moment when something 
then you start having a panic attack or uh, when something terrible starts happening, your brain will automatically start switching mm -hmm. to what good do I see here? What strength can I have here? Because you've been practicing it daily. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's so good. Um, I do want to kind of pull back to a little bit of the, the postpartum stuff, if you don't mind. Um, asking more specifically your um, relationship with your, your, your husband as a result of everything that's going on. Um, Oh, I think I lost you. You froze or you're standing really still. <laughs> um, when she comes back, I'll ask her about it. I wanted to ask about um, how the postpartum stuff, you know, and her connections with her husband um, and stigma as a result of that. But to kind of, again, supplement what she's saying about sort of celebrating all the little victories, you know, it's something that is um, important for us to do, even as, regular people living day-to-day -day lives um i think she's back okay i'm sorry i don't know why it keeps stopping that's okay that's fine <laughs> I, i'm a host i just go <laughs> <laughs> you know. okay so, sorry what was the question so i was going to ask you about um your relationship with your husband as the as you started to progress and learn about your postpartum depression uh it seemed like your relationship got easier as you were able to identify what was going on and be open and honest with him which is something that I've experienced more publicly or with my friends or with family uh, openly on Facebook and through this podcast, things like that. Um, and it's been able, been easier to have that conversation, um, especially when it comes to significant others, you know, you, they could see you every day and just see you as someone that's just being sloppy or lazy. Um, so at, at how did that progression happen in, in, in like talking to him and, and, and learning about each other or, your, or you and what's going on with you. Um, how did that strengthen your relationship if it has? Yeah. Uh, so I think at the beginning before I knew what was happening, I did a lot of apologizing and I did a lot of faking it to try and make it not seem like I was as bad as I thought I was because I right. thought I was being a terrible human being. Right. Um, so... He would text me when he was on his way home from school or work, and I would just, in a mad rush, feeling guilty, try to get the house looking somewhat okay. Right. And, you know, I would place blame and excuses all the time. Oh, Shawnielle was just, it was really hard taking care of her today. She constantly right. needed me, which is not her personality at all, never right. has been the um, but I would place that blame on outside situations right. and it was exhausting. It was so exhausting to create those excuses. Mm -hmm. And so I eventually just broke down and was like, I'm sorry. Like, I can't make this to you anymore. Like, right. I'm just a terrible human being. I'm a terrible wife. I'm a terrible mom. I'm really sorry that I'm so awful. Right. Right. And he was just so shocked. And he was like, but you're not awful. You're just creating this idea that you are. And you don't need to be that way. So let's figure out what's actually happening. And he was extremely supportive. I was very blessed that he was so understanding and helping me figure out what was going on. Um, and so he just started checking up with me through the day like, hey, on a scale of one to 10, how has this morning been? Right. Right. And so knowing throughout the day 
what my scale was, you know, some days I was a six, some days I was like a negative five or whatever, um, helped him know how to come, what to expect when he came home so that he wouldn't get upset if the house was a mess so that he wouldn't get so upset if I wasn't dressed. Um, cause it's nice for a husband to come home and see his wife look nice. <laughs> right i mean same sure. thing when i worked when i came home it was nice to see john put together and, mm -hmm. and you're excited to see them more if they look right. nice yeah um so him knowing what to expect i think helped a lot mm -hmm. throughout each day um and then when i would say oh it's not getting better he would be able to remind me no no yesterday was a four when the, every day before that had been a two so right there are you know ups and downs but there have been ups and that's the important thing to remember that you don't always see for in the moment right um and so him helping me through that really it really did strengthen our relationship a lot i mean we've always had a strong relationship but mm -hmm. knowing that if we can get through postpartum depression without even considering divorce or separation or without any name calling or anything right. like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and only focusing on how can I help you now? Right. Right. Um, has been a great thing. And it was really funny. I didn't even at the time, I didn't even think about telling my mom or right. my sisters or anyone else. I never even thought about telling them, Hey, guess what? I have postpartum depression. So this is kind of happening in my life right now. Right. Uh, so I don't think my mom even found out that I had postpartum depression until two years later when I was pregnant with my second child. And I was like, Oh, I'm a little nervous that I might have postpartum depression. She's like, why would you be nervous about that? I was like, Oh yeah. Cause I had postpartum depression. <laughs> I guess I just never told you like it was kind of a weird thing but I think part of it was because I am really an independent person right um, I like being self-reliant but John was just so supportive and wonderful that I didn't feel like I needed to go to outside support right um so I think that again not something I recommend you should tell everyone close to you not just who is living in your house at the time what is going on in your life so that they can mm -hmm. help you through it and um but I I really appreciated how he took it day by day because I tend to think of big picture easily right. um you know John, can I handle doing this for the for the next three months and it's like it doesn't matter because right now today you're at a four. Right. Hooray! You're at a four. <laughs> it's bigger than a three, right? It's better than yesterday. Yeah, it's an extension of celebrating those little victories. And, right. and you know, doing that together, which, uh, you know, that communication has been the game changer in my relationship and, and how, you know, in comparison to how I've, I've dealt with relationships in the past, uh, it's, it's a game changer to be honest about what you're dealing with, um, you know, to your partner and to everyone around you. Uh, you know, not everyone's going to understand in the same kind of detail that you might explain from one person to the next, but, uh, you know, you can practice, you can work on a, a script, a base level version. You can almost set up like three different tiers of explanations for people, you know, super basic, oh, yeah. like this is what I'm dealing with. Don't worry. I've got it handled. 
And then you've got something that's a little bit more detailed and then something where it's just like, okay, I've got some shit to tell you. <laughs> yeah, right, for sure. And I think that honesty was really key. And honesty is hard. Well, it was hard for me mm-hmm. sometimes to just be honest with myself. There were days that I was at a two or a one and I really wanted to be at a five, right? right? You want to think, oh, I'm doing so great. But being able to take it where it is right now and say, this is okay. Mm-hmm. This is where it is now. That's not where it has to stay. And it's not going to stay there, but this is where I am now. And that honesty to myself mm-hmm. was definitely the first step being able to share that with John and help him, uh, help him do it with me. And, um, sometimes, I mean, cause he was amazing, but there are days that he had a hard time with it. Of course, right. where mm-hmm. he's like, come on, I just really need you to help me out with this. Like yeah. I'm in finals week. I, mm-hmm. You know, I can't do all of this by myself. And I had to be like, okay, like today's been a, you know, a really awful day for me. I'm trying to help. I will mm-hmm. do whatever bits I can. I'm sorry if I can't get to everything. Right. And, you know, being able to have that on both sides where we were both understanding, like when he couldn't help me out as much because he was under stressful situations with school right. work um, and being able to, have kind of like what you said with that script being able to when we were out with friends or something I could say um so my levels are dropping like I was at a five when we Uh were here it's now at a three like we've got two minutes before we've got to go um and doing that I mean I I don't think I would have been able to come out of that um situation and improve my mental state to where it is now at all without his support of you know you can do this i believe in you and we're taking it one day at a time like that was really important yeah that's that's huge um uh i wanted to kind of ask a little bit about where do you think that that fear of communicating came from um was it tied to the guilt of being a mother and and feeling like i need to be on it and i don't feel like i'm connected to my child the way I would like to, connected to life the way that I would like to. Um, do you think it was just fear of all that stigma that, that you've maybe seen in other sources and were afraid that, you know, your husband and people close to you were going to feel the same or, or, or not, not accept that or understand that? Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. I mean, mom guilt is definitely a real thing. And dad guilt, I think, is too. And that's not Mm. talked about nearly enough. Parental guilt is a thing. And it's it's often self-driven. Like, I don't think looking at it realistically that I had to feel guilty from other people. But I felt in and of myself because you want to do so great for this person that you love that you created that you're raising right. um, and you want to do right by them and so you just hold such high expectations for yourself other people definitely can add to that guilt but it can come in from inside also i think a big part of it is just from previous life experiences where um more often than not i was i came into the role of being the strong person Mm-hmm. in situations. Right. I, um, I mean, in high school, um, I had many friends pass away from multiple things from, 
uh, car accidents, to cancer, to drunk driving, to suicide even. And in all of those situations, I was the strong one for my other friends who were still there, right? right? And I felt that in my family, I'm the oldest of five girls. I just feel that responsibility. Not that I have to have that responsibility, but I've placed that on myself. Mm. And so realizing that I wasn't being strong, or at least I thought I wasn't, right? Realizing that I had to be vulnerable to the point where I had to say, I can't do this and I'm not doing it. And I'm not, I'm not where I feel like I should be was a really scary moment for me to Mm. notice that, um, the, the strengths that I thought I had, I still had them, but I, they were being overshadowed by an imbalance in my body that I couldn't control at the time. Um, and so just being able to say, I can't, and it's not because I don't want to, it's just, I literally, I physically and mentally can't, that was a hard thing for me to swallow at the time. Right. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, it's fair. I, I, I can relate to that being the, the oldest of my two siblings. Uh, I've got half siblings that are older than me, but basically the three of us grew up together. So I've always been the one that has to be the successful one or the one that's got their shit together. Um, You know, so for a long time, you know, I've been dealing with cyclothymia since I was the earliest I can remember is like eight years old, maybe. Um, And uh, it's something that I've been dealing with all my life. But then I I kind of, I, I don't think I really even realized that other people get depressed until I was like in my early twenties. And I started talking to other people and I'm like, Oh, okay. So I'm not just weird. This isn't just my weird personality, you know, manifesting in this, uh, uh Donnie Darko style of, <laughs> of wanting to destroy everything. <laughs> it's like, this is real stuff that's going on and there's help and there's, there's other ways to, to learn about it. And now what's been interesting too, is that, um, uh, I, I kind of loosely bring up Myers-Briggs types uh, I don't want to hinge everything on it because it's really more of a prompt than it is uh, uh, something that I want to preach as an absolute. But um, you said you're an ENFJ, I think, in your I past. Think so. Yeah, I think that's correct. Okay. Yeah, because you know it reads that way to me, so I just wanted to confirm that. But uh, uh, similar to to INFJs, if this is something that you could maybe think about, it could help you. And we're going to have another conversation about this. Uh, yeah, more in depth. Care. But. Um, uh, INFJs and ENFJs both, the, you know, they think very strongly about the feelings of others. You're very concerned about creating a sense of harmony and uh, uh, making sure that everyone's taken care of. And both types, you you lead with that feeling. And for INFJs, it's their secondary feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, for for you guys, for ENFJs, it's it's so strongly in tune that you you often do it in a way that it's like almost self-sacrificing. Um, and it seems that, you know, it's, it's to separate it from the postpartum stuff, just generally, I think a lot of people, there are a lot of types that give into a people pleasing sort of vibe or wanting to make sure that everyone else is happy, but they forget that they are a part of everyone. You know, yeah. you are, you are included in everyone. <laughs> so, true. <laughs> so, it, so it involves taking care of yourself because especially taking care of yourself first so that you can give your best to everyone. And especially in a situation where you're dealing with brain chemistry situations, you're be- dealing with stuff that is, that is honestly a hundred percent beyond your control, which is a huge thing that we're preaching on this podcast is letting people know that this is stuff that is beyond our control. And these are things that people are dealing with. And again, 
I didn't know about, I didn't know other people dealt with different kinds of depression for like a very long time. So I just, I felt this sense of like, okay, we need to like spread this message, 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 not message. <laughs> or, or, you know, there's, there are going to be people who are lost for a long time. Like I am, or, you know, like other people are, or like in your situation, this is something that, you know, had you helped, dealt with any kind of depression or anything before the postpartum depression? Um, looking back on it, I can say yes. At the time, I didn't realize that I was. Right. Um, and it was, you know, minor instances. It was not long lasting, uh, but it was there. Um, but I just thought, oh, I'm sad. Mm -hmm. I should find a way to be happy and I'll be okay. Right. I mean, I just, it was, it was when I was, um, in high school and I didn't know any better really. Um, I mean, depression wasn't really talked about in my home very much when I was growing up. It, right. it became more prevalent, uh, after I moved out when my younger sisters, um, were, you know, getting to that age and, and were noticing that they were struggling. Right. Um, and then it became a more open thing. But when I was home and growing up, it just wasn't talked about. It was, you are in charge of your attitude. You can choose to be happy. And I think for the most part, for most human beings, that is very true. Right. And even with depression, we can still have control over our attitude, even if we can't control um, how it's manifesting from day to day, right? right? There's a difference between having a bad day because we choose to be grouchy and a bad day because our brain chemistry is acting up, right? right. There, there is that difference. But I didn't think that brain chemistry had anything to do with it at the time. Right. Um, <clears throat> so thinking about, you know, I, mean, I think that a lot of times when I, when I did come out of those, those small pieces of time in my life that it was driven by other people. It was, they need me right now. Mm -hmm. And so who cares about me? I don't. Right. <laughs> so let's just go, <laughs> let's get moving. Uh -huh. um, and I think, reaching out to other people. I mean, even if they don't know what's going on in your life, being there for other people is a great way to help whatever situation you're in. There's some magical thing about helping others that makes you feel better. Right. Mm -hmm. And that improves the quality of life. Right. And so I think that's why I was able to stay out of it right. more. Um, mm -hmm. but but there's definitely something important about realizing that I am part of everyone, like you said, right? right. Mm -hmm. And knowing that self-care is not just some wishy-washy thing that, um, it's not some spiritual mumbo jumbo. Right. It's not. And, it, and it's not a weak thing either. Right. Taking care of yourself, you know, putting a focus on self-care is a strong thing that needs to happen to improve your life and the lives of other people around you. And it's not exclusive to mental health. No, uh, not you know, at all. in terms of mental illness rather, because uh, right. you know, it's, it's something that uh, I've been making more and more correlations these days to, you know, I deal with the extremes. So I go into mania, hypomania, which is like a lower form of mania and depression. And I see the commonalities of the correlations uh, uh, popping up in other people who are seemingly normal I don't know that I don't know their history, but for the most part, you know, burnout is an example of what happens in mania. Basically, 
I sign too many ca- checks that I can't cash, you know, in terms of scheduling or ideas, or I just kind of go, 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 go. I plan things. And then once it gets to the point where I can't fulfill all of those needs, I crash. I crash in a depressive way. Um, whereas people do that, you know, every week they're, they're trying to get to Monday or they're trying to get to Friday rather and enjoy the weekend. There, there are lesser extremes of those things that I think are still useful for people who are not dealing with mental illness to consider in their lives, you know, celebrating those little victories, you know, setting timers for little activities that they have to do uh, every day, not watching too much, uh, you know, uh, America's top next, next top model or project runway. Right. You know, you know, these are, these are all things that we end up, we end up coming to terms with or learning or understanding through extremes. Um, And what I'm hoping to achieve and what you've helped me in this podcast to achieve is to help people understand that it doesn't have to get to that extreme for you to take those things into account. Right. Yeah. And I still use them. um, And it still blesses my life every day. I mean, Mm -hmm. even though, my, I mean, and we all experience depression in whatever form differently from each other. Like my postpartum depression is very different from my best friend's postpartum depression that she had. We can still empathize with each other, but we don't know exactly what everyone else is experiencing. And taking right. that empathy in mind um, for yourself and other people, I think is probably one of the best things that I learned how to perpetuate even after that experience. Awesome. I think that is a really great way to end. Yeah, perfect. (laughs) So yeah, this was, thank you, Karina, for being on the show. This was a fantastic conversation. Uh, Why don't you give everyone a sense? So we didn't really get a chance to talk about the music stuff. Uh, We kind of talked really heavily about uh, the postpartum depression stuff, but I do want to give you a chance to promote your music stuff and then maybe I'll have you on uh, again in the near future and we can talk a little bit more about music because you saw my guitars early on before and uh, got really excited and we both make music. So I think it's something that we can talk about and even related to mental health stuff because it's, it's something that is, is fantastic for that. It is. It definitely (laughs) connects. Um, Yeah, I would love that. So my music business is Koi Compositions, C-O-Y compositions and you can look me up on youtube or soundcloud i have a patreon page if you want to support me there um and i am just getting more and more into video game style music and not as much orchestral but i still do a bit of both and it's really great so i also have a facebook business page if you want to follow news on there or twitter or facebook or instagram all of it so i hope to see you there yeah, that'd be rad. Um, I'll send you some of my stuff too because I've been recently diving into like playing with chiptune stuff and oh, I drum, love chiptune stuff. Like, drum machines. So my my, um, my theme song on my other show, um, C Notes Media Madness, that I'm starting to launch soon, uh, is is a the theme song is a chiptune type of track. So it's Perfect. pretty exciting. <laughs> but yeah, we'll have you back on to talk about music stuff in the future. But thank you again for being on the show. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Sweet. Thank you. Hey, you beautiful human. Thanks for listening to Dopamine. I really appreciate it. If you thought this was a dope show, then you should wait until next week. But also, while you wait, you should go to iTunes and Stitcher and leave a positive review. Positive reviews help me to uh, fill up my dopamine tank. Otherwise, you can send your friends to dopamine.life to listen to the show or hi, my name is Christian.com to get the latest updates. I'll catch you later. Baby, I'm a fiend. I'm a fiend. Oh, you know you got me going off your dopamine. All I really need, all I need is for you to put me on to the recipe, yeah. Ooh, ooh.
It's on my team. You got me going off your dopamine. Yeah. It's on my team. You got me going off your dopamine.